The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. It was back in December, like just this past December, that I got really excited and needed to know, know more about lab-grown meat. The world's first ever lab-grown steak was revealed and created out of Israel, December 2018. The cost was about 50 bucks, which isn't too bad for a prototype. But the first ever lab-grown beef burger, it was made in 2013. It cost 250,000 euros to make. So even when you want to treat your spouse or go on a first date and you're saying anything you want off the menu, honey, anything you want, it's on me. Except maybe that $250,000 steak. Maybe not that one. But we're seen huge strides and it's still a very new industry and now we have someone right here in Edmonton who's trying to take a bite out of it the industry that is and maybe some lab-grown meat Dr. Matt Anderson Barron is the lead scientist and co-founder at Future Fields thanks for joining me Matt thanks for having me this is really interesting and I have a lot of really naive questions to ask you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Most people do. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's fascinating. And I want to know well, if it's not made out of animal meat, what is it? Does it have the same nutritional value? But we'll get to that. I first want to know how this even came to be on your radar, where your interest lies. Um, yeah, so it's something I kind of stumbled across uh, during grad school, just found uh, some websites online. Uh, and just got really excited about it and read, read everything that I could online. Um, and I was looking for ways to get involved. But, um, you know, unfortunately, nobody in Canada was doing this. There, at the time, there were, you know, a few select companies uh, and different organizations working on it in places like the States and, and in Europe. Um, but nobody here was doing it. Um, so, you know, for me personally, it, it, it was really exciting to think of, you know, taking the, the skill set and, and the, the things that I learned in grad school and applying those to, to a novel application like, like food production. Um, but more than that, a lot of the things that cultured meat is thought to address in terms of our food system really resonated with me. So I got, I, that's kind of what really drew me into it. You have created a lab-produced chicken product. When, when we use that language, we're not talking like I, I've had veggie ground round. In fact, that's what I prefer to use for my lasagna. That's yeah. not what we're talking about here, right? Not a vegan or vegetarian option. No, this would be actual chicken meat in terms of uh, chicken muscle. Yes. Okay. Can you kind of walk us through where does this start? Do you have a couple cells in a petri dish in in a lab, or or what does this look like? Yeah, so that's kind of the idea. Um, so basically you take a muscle sample from a live animal. Um, it's very similar to like a muscle biopsy that, that people do on humans all the time. Uh, and then from that muscle sample, you're going to isolate uh, muscle stem cells, which you can then grow in laboratory conditions by feeding them nutrients in the form of a, a, a sort of a, a growth medium. Uh, and that causes the cells to continue to grow. And as they grow more and more, you get more and more cells, which is basically what makes up the tissue. What does the timeline look like? If I said, hey, I'm hungry, can I get 
a chicken-like product that's grown in your lab, how soon will that chicken be on my plate? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say at this point. We're hoping, you know, if things go according to plan, that we would be having a, a product that's ready for the market within four or five years. But uh, time will tell. It's going to come down to, to a couple different factors, but that's what we're hoping for. So right now, because we're in such, uh, the earliest stages of this industry, when you hear about the story out of Israel, that they've created this lab-grown steak, do these things excite you or, or because you're learning along with everyone else? Or does this look like competition to you, that you've got to try to beat them? No, I, I think it's exciting. I mean, I think, number one, there's a lot of room in the field at this point. Um, you know, it's not like the first person to invent a car. It was That was the only car invented. Like, there's a lot of room for people to be working in this space. Um, and I think in general, just uh, the, the more that this field uh, progresses, the better it is for everyone. Um, you know, there's a lot of different technical hurdles that we need to tackle, and it's going to be a lot smoother and a lot easier if people are working together on it rather than everyone's kind of hiding their own things and and working in in isolated pockets. You briefly brushed on the topic of sustainability and this is a a conversation that will probably never go away in how we continue to feed the people around the world. Is, Is this the next big step or does this mean eliminating the need for animal meat and again we'll be weary of of what your response is as we are living in Alberta beef country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, number one, I, cultured meat is never, ever meant to completely replace farming or, or um, you know, animal-sourced protein. Uh, it's more meant to supplement the supply because as you, as you touched on with issues like sustainability, um, you know, the way that we produce meat currently isn't sustainable. It maybe was... Uh, years ago when we had a much smaller global population, but the reality is we're on pace for for 10 billion people by 2050. And not only that, we have an increasing uh, proportion of meat eaters. So we have a lot more people to feed. Uh, So we need to start thinking of of new ways to do that. And so we believe that that cultured meat is, is just one way to do that. When we talk about serving someone up cultured meat versus, so like eventually... What I think is being suggested is I will be able to go to a restaurant and I can ask for lab-grown meat or I can say I'd like a true tenderloin from a farm outside of Edmonton. Is, am I getting just as much protein, nutritional value as the person who's getting something that was cultured in a lab? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the benefits of cultured meat is we will have a little more control over the nutritional profile of these products. Um, you know, we can really start to tailor the, the nutrients that are found in, in these products. So absolutely, it would be, uh, it would be just as nutritional. Um, but also, I think, like you, you mentioned, I think it would, what we want is that you can make that choice so that people know if they're buying, you know, conventional meat sourced from a farm or sourced from a lab. There's some fascinating implications here. I want to talk about what this could mean for animal advocates, what this could mean for the fast food industry if they're trying to cut costs and this ends up being created en masse. And we'll go there with Dr. Matt Anderson Barron, the lead scientist and co-founder of Future Fields. Probably not a bad time to mention that I'm going to have 
the Who tickets to give away for their Moving On tour a little bit later in the show and a presale code. The presale code will be good to go tomorrow morning. I'm Kelsey Campbell, and on the line I have Dr. Matt Anderson Barron, the lead scientist and co-founder of Future Fields. He and his team has created a lab-grown chicken product, and we're talking about what does lab-grown meat mean? And the biggest question on the text line right now, Matt, is why? Why would we eat this? Why It sounds like GMOs and messing with something that's a perfectly good system. So why are you looking at this? Why do we need this? <laughs> um, well, for one thing, uh, it, it wouldn't, it's not a GMO product. Um, if you were to, say, sequence the DNA of the, uh, of the cells that are found in, in a cultured meat product, they would be virtually identical to the DNA that was found in the animal that that muscle sample was sourced from. Uh, so there's no genetic modification or, of any sort going on here. Um, but, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with conventional meat products. But in terms of the production process, you know, we do know that there's a lot of issues uh, associated with that, mostly because of the, the demand for it. So, again, uh, cultured meat is just one way of addressing a lot of those issues. Um, but until the, these types of products are available on the market, it's tough to say what kind of impact that will have. A conversation that's come up time and time again is the impact that cattle farms have on the environment, uh, the methane gases that they give off. Is this something that we, we could see a major change in the footprint that farms of the, the, those gigantic ones that you see down south, we're gonna see those shrink? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is all based on uh, theoretical data that we have so far, but we do believe that cultured meat will have a, a signif significantly reduced uh, carbon foot footprint. Um, but again, until that uh, turns into an actual industry, um, it, it, it only time will tell. And again, we're not trying to completely replace these farms, just more so to supplement that supply and reduce the need for some of those more intensive farming practices. The work that you're doing, is this something that's applauded by animal rights advocates and activists? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, globally, it does seem like there's a lot of, you know, you get the most attention from uh, those types of groups. I mean, food in general, especially when it comes to food that's sourced from animals, uh, it can be a really emotional and, and contentious issue. Um, but, you know, we, we try not to, to focus on that too much um, because, again, it, it does become a very emotional issue. You know, we try to, to stick to the facts and, uh, and, and, to, and to the data that we do have. So what I'm reading, it tells me that there's no lab-based meat products on sale to the public yet, though a U.S. company called Just has said that chicken nuggets will soon be available in a few restaurants. So this this is like... A true reality yeah yeah absolutely um, I have heard of that too um, I mean I think it's it's gonna come down to a lot of different things and, and one of those things being uh, legislation you know how these types of products are going to be regulated um, I know in the states you know they've already got that conversation going and they've kind of already figured out how culture meat is going to be regulated as a, as a food product um, so that's a really I think it's good that they've done that down there it's really I think it's going to expedite that, that process and get these products onto the market a lot sooner. 
Okay, another really naive question for you. You, Mm -hmm. you've talked about using animal muscle tissue, and I just want to understand what this means. Does this mean there will still be a need in order to make to do lab-grown meat? It still requires a real animal to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, you're not creating the cells synthetically. You're basically taking the cells from a live animal and then replicating those. Uh, But because of the proliferative capacity of these cells, you theoretically only have to take a very small amount to produce a very, very large amount of meat. So it's not like you're having to go back and source these cells continuously from an animal. Um, you're, You're essentially sourcing them you know, once and then producing a large amount of meat, you will have to go back eventually because, you know, cells can only divide. There's a limit. Um, But, you know, there's a huge potential for how much meat you can produce out of one single sample. I know that you've spent a, a great deal of time researching this. It was a big part of what you were doing at the University of Alberta. Congratulations on your PhD. Thank you. What have I, and again, we, we keep talking about this is in the early stages, no time for people to panic. There's some panic on the text line right now. What in general, based on what I'm seeing on the text line, people saying, why are you doing this? It's unnecessary. Call it what it is. It's a Frankenburger. It's alive. What's public perception been so far? What are you learning? What are you hearing? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been interesting for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty split. Uh, there's definitely... A lot of people that support it, but there's a lot of people that don't, and, and you know that's fine. We don't we don't expect to to capture everyone. Um, that you know that's that's the realities of it. And and you know any new technology, people are generally very apprehensive of um, because you know at, at this point they people don't really understand it, and so I think until they do, uh, it's going to be uh, a little. It's going to turn a lot of people off. And again, that's fine. We, we don't expect to, to have everyone wanting to buy this type of product. Um, but, you know, it, it's about creating a choice for those people that do want to buy it. This is what we're doing, though. This is a sincere fact-finding mission. You said that we're probably four or five years off before we see something happening right here in Edmonton with your company, Future Fields. So what did the next couple days, months, years look like for you? What are you doing in your lab? Um, so, you know, what I've done so far is, is really been uh, working uh, part-time while I was, I was finishing up uh, my PhD. Uh, my, this actual work was not uh, my thesis work at all, so this was stuff that I was pursuing on my own time. Um, so, you know, I'm looking to get into this full-time so that we can really put all our efforts into it. Um, so we have created small products now. But the, the, the issues come when uh, we try to scale these, these, these products up. You know, we can create small amounts now, but in order to make this financially viable, we need to produce large and large amounts. Um, so in terms of technical hurdles, going from a small product to, to large amounts uh, it can be challenging. So there's a lot of research and development going into this. So that's what we need to be focusing on right now. I love this question from the text line. This is from Mark to wrap up our conversation. I've been watching a lot of apocalyptic movies lately, a little bit concerned about where we're going to live when we decimate the Earth. And uh, the chief scientist at NASA has said that humans will live on Mars. So the last question goes to Mark, and he says, can you grow meat in space? 
if we don't have animals up there? Is that going to be the way that we find nutrition? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that was one of the, the initial ideas behind culture meat is that, you know, you can you can grow animal protein really anywhere and not even just space, but when you think about places like way up north where you have ice-covered land and, you know, you can't be really grazing cattle, uh, this creates the potential to have animal protein that's produced in, in these remote areas or really extreme climates uh, where you're not having to raise animals. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, you know, Mars is, is just one of those uh, applications, I guess. Matt, I cannot wait to have you back on the show and to continue to follow your journey. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. That's Matt Anderson Barron. He is the lead scientist and co-founder of Future Fields. Next up for the hour, we've got the germ guy hanging out in studio, taking your questions at 6.30, 6.30. And we're going to try to find a way to uh, insert a little energy into the World Health Organization's warning. All of the things that will kill us in 2019. The 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad.